0: You can turn with me to our sermon text for today then, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Exodus 20, verse 7. It's also on the sermon insert, part of the Ten Commandments. I've been going through the Ten Commandments, and we've looked at the the first one of worshiping the Lord our God, our Redeemer, and no other gods. And the second commandment, that we do not worship by Devote, you know, directing our worship to images, but rather to worship God in the way He directs us in His Word. And now we come today to the third commandment, uh, which I will read now, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for revealing your will to us and for revealing your grace to us and revealing your name to us that we might even receive it upon us by your mercy and grace. We pray that you would direct us by your word, that you would guide the preaching of your word to be faithful and true and that it would come to our hearts in power by the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first commandment specifies the object of worship and religious allegiance. It is God alone, the living and true God, the Lord our God, Jehovah our Redeemer. The second commandment specifies the means of worship. How should we worship God as he has prescribed not by images, for example. The third commandment then specifies the manner of worship, that we worship God with sincerity and holy reverence. In other words, this commandment addresses your attitude. I already began to get into it in the last sermon on the second commandment, speaking of how we should worship God with gratitude and reverence. So that that's really perhaps more directly from the third commandment, um, although these are all tied together. If the second commandment ties us to worship God according to his appointed ordinances, then the third commandment ties us to observe them in the right manner and to not make light of them. You must honor God's name, for his name is glorious and he will vindicate it. You must honor God's name. So first let's look at the duty of honoring God's name, and then the glory of God's name, and then the vindication of God's name. The narrow meaning of this commandment uh, regards oaths. It's where uh, the, the illustration or example is, is given that we might understand the principle of the third commandment. Uh, there's a whole chapter on oaths and vows in our confession of faith. I taught a lesson on it last year. Uh, which you can also listen to. But in an oath, you invoke God's name. You call God to, as a witness to what you assert or what you promise. You're either saying, this is the fact, this is true. You're making an assertion or you're promising that I will do this. And you're calling God to hold you accountable. That with God as my witness, this is the truth. Uh, with God as witness, this is what I will perform and uh, you you invoke his name. Now, if you invoke God as your witness, God who sees all and is able to hold all men to account, but if you invoke him as your witness when what you say or promise is false, you are taking his name in vain. Uh, You are using his name because it's a powerful name and Maybe we'll get people to trust you and to put more power behind your words, but if what you say is false, you are treating him with contempt as if he doesn't see, as if he doesn't act. You are taking his name in vain. In Leviticus 19.12, God makes this point plain. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. To swear by God's name falsely profanes the name of God. The third commandment, of course, has broader application as well. Uh, The clear illustration of the principle is that of, of swearing falsely, but more broadly, it forbids the profaning of God's name and requires that you use his name in a holy and reverent manner. Rather than using his name lightly or profanely, we must use it in a weighty matter, as a holy thing. Now, this principle here refers to his names and titles uh, in Scripture, such as Jehovah, the Lord, I am that I am, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It also extends, as our catechism says, to anything whereby God maketh himself known. God's name is a a big concept. It also extends to his reputation, uh, his, his fame, his revelation of himself. That is what a name is. This is the way our catechism puts it. The third commandment requireth the holy and reverend use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. And likewise, it forbids all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God maketh himself known. Now, if you're skeptical of this broadening of the principle, we can look back to Malachi. We read Malachi uh, 1 and part of chapter 2. And there God says, You priests have despised my name. And they say, How have we despised your name? Well, by, dis- by despising my worship. They had, there's a strong connection between God's name and his worship, word, and ordinances. In chapter 1, it's talking about. God's worship, the table of God, the offerings that they were offering, that they were holding that in contempt and therefore profaning God's name. In chapter 2, it talks about God's word, that the priests were not uh, teaching his word but showing partiality, that they were perverting the covenant of Levi, that they were profaning his name, showing disregard for his name in, by doing that. Now, of course, in chapter 3, it talks about tithes, that they were robbing from God, uh, that there was these ordinances, these... Uh, uh, word and worship that God had instituted that they were treating with contempt. They also were uh, being unfaithful in their marriages after calling God to witness that covenant, that God is a witness between them, and they were disregarding it, again, showing uh, uh, contempt for God's name. Of course, that also extends to the seventh commandment, but the idea, the the aspect of, of disregarding God who was invoked uh, would uh, come from this Commandment. The priests in chapters 1 and 2 and, and the people in chapters 2 and 3 had despised God's name by treating these holy things with contempt. You have despised my name. How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. How have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised, by offering blind animals in sacrifice. They would also say, oh, What a weariness this is as they went to worship God. What a burden this is. What a weariness this is. They snorted at it. And that was showing contempt for God's name, that they were not fearing his name. Likewise, we saw that Jesus rebuked the vain oaths that the scribes and Pharisees had used, saying that, oh, you could swear an oath in this way. If you swear it by this or that, then it doesn't bind you. But if you swear it this way, it does bind you. And Jesus pointed out the connection between God and his altar and his temple. If you swear by the temple, you swear by it and by him who dwells in it. Who's that? God. God dwells in his temple. You swear by the temple, you're swearing by God. It still binds you. Um, if you swear by heaven, you swear by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So God's, God and his name is extended to these holy things by which he makes himself known. <clears throat> They had profaned God's name when they had sworn by his altar and temple in vain. So to profane the temple is to profane God's name. That extends to the New Testament too. Paul says, don't you know you all, the church, are the temple of God in 1 Corinthians 3? And if you destroy God's temple, God's going to destroy you. It's a holy thing. You are a holy people, a a temple of the living God. So this commandment... uh, Requires us to honor God's name. That means, first of all, we speak of God in a reverent manner. We, we don't joke about God. We we don't use his name casually just in exclamations that are, are meaningless. Uh, we do not speak of him idly. We don't use casual oaths. Normally, your yes should be yes and your no should be no. Uh, we should speak of God reverently. It also requires you to hear and read his word reverently, attentively, uh, faithfully. We should not be like those who mock his word, who jest at his word, who abuse or twist or despise God's word, who mock his coming judgment or his deeds of old, um, but rather to listen to him and to receive his word. If he th- Uh, gives us a a threat that we tremble at it. If he gives us a command, we seek to obey it. That if he gives us a promise that we embrace it. This requires you that when you partake of the Lord's Supper to do so in a worthy manner. Do you think it's just in the Old Testament that God is a holy God? Remember in the New Testament when the church at Corinth was divided amongst each other and was expressing that division in the way they abused the Lord's Supper, treating it as as a private meal, one going on ahead, not waiting for the others, and one getting drunk and the other going without. Some people were sick. Some people were dying because they were not receiving it in a worthy manner, treating this holy thing as a common thing. It requires you to remember your baptisms. Of course, with the Lord's Supper, what Paul does is he brings them back to its institution, its meaning. Take it in a worthy manner as as, uh, a sacrament of Christ's body and blood. Examine yourselves and discern the Lord's body. Well, it also requires you to remember your baptisms, to not treat that as a vain thing, but to remember that you bear God's name and ought not to profane it by living in a manner contrary to it. Adorn the profession of the gospel. Be humbled where you have walked contrary to it. Return to the promise and embrace it of cleansing in Jesus Christ. A false and empty profession of faith is an instance of taking God's name in vain. In Psalm 50, God summons his people, those in the bond of the covenant, some of whom uh, were were faithful. He also said, but to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. Beware lest I tear you apart. This commandment requires you to pray with sincerity and honesty Uh, to not mindlessly pray to not pray for the praise of man to show off to others remember what jesus said in the sermon on the mount Uh, don't do your righteousness or your prayers to show off to think that you'll be heard for your many words and to babble like the pagans but rather to uh, devote yourself to your father in heaven not for the praise of man whether you're Praying in front of others or not, let that be your intention and so pray by yourself uh, too. Have times of private prayer that you might remind yourself that prayer is for God and to direct yourself to him uh, as the meaning of prayer. Of course, this requires you to be careful in your use of oaths and vows. Oaths being things that we promise to one another or assert uh, to one another and call God to witness. Vows being that which we promise to God. Um, that we swear only by God, not by others, not by the saints, not by other creatures. God is the one who knows all things and can hold us accountable. That we s- swear oaths when the situation calls for it, not casually. Uh, on proper occasions, to do so reverently, and to assert nothing but which we are fully persuaded is the truth, and to bind ourselves only to what is good and just and able and resolved to perform, to not take vain oaths and vows uh, that we're not able to uh, to have no reason to believe to, that we're able to perform or resolve to perform or think might be bad and Rather, we should be sure when we swear, when we vow. This commandment also requires you to live all of life for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do so for the glory of God, for his fame, for his honor, for the greatness of his name. This is what you were made for. You were made in God's image to reflect his glory, to to make this known in all that you are and all that you do. So, it's a commandment that refers to particular actions and the way you do things, but it's an aspect, really, of everything you do, to do all for the glory of God. Think of how this is used as an exhortation in multiple books of the Bible. In 1 Timothy 6.1, Paul says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled have a concern for God's reputation. The way that you uh, behave reflects upon him because you bear his name. Matthew five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, again, these are thinking of the, the public implications, how it reflects on God's reputation. Now, even the private things you do should be unto God's glory between you and him. But then there's this, also this, this public aspect Negative, don't do things that would disgrace his name. Positive, do things that would bring glory to his name. Titus 2 speaks of how the young women should be trained to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Or later in chapter 2, verse 10, speaking of servants, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the, God, the doctrine of God our Savior. Adorn the doctrine with these deeds that they bring glory to the glory of uh, to God's name. And so we have a duty to honor God's name: and the way we speak about God, the way we worship God, the way you uh, observe His ordinances, the way you. Uh, Speak about his attributes, the way uh, that you live your life to his glory. Be concerned. In, fa- in fact, that's how we're directed to pray. What's the first petition in the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be thy name, that we should have this desire and therefore pour it out to our God, desiring that he would make his name great, sanctified, set apart as a holy thing, not as a common thing to be trod in the dust. So we have this duty. Secondly, God's name is glorious. That is why it ought to be honored. God's name is glorious. He is, after all, the Lord your God. That is that phrase again. It showed up at the beginning of the Ten Commandments and again in the Second Commandment and now in the Third Commandment. The Lord here being that that name based on the word I am. uh, We usually pronounce it as Jehovah. Uh, This God, this God who has shown himself God, the Lord, your God. and Malachi, it appeals to the fact that God is our Father, that God is our Master and Lord, that God is a great King among the nations, that He is a governor above all governors. Honor is therefore due to Him. He is glorious. It's been shown by His mighty deeds. He is the one who has made all things. As we sang in Psalm 8, His glory is found throughout all things, the glory of his name. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. He's demonstrated it by forming everything out of nothing, by his word, his powerful word. All that you see. Would you neglect this being who has brought everything into existence? You know, you might show honor and respect for some important people that can do some things that have some influence in society. Well, how much more for the maker of heaven and earth? Think of his works of creation. Behold his works of providence, that he continues to sustain it, that he maintains this world, holds it together, gives life to living things, uh, who governs and directs it so that uh, it goes according to his good purposes, who in wisdom Uh, sustains his creation. You can see its design, its goodness, that he made things good for you to sustain your life and which are even delightful, things that are enjoyable for us. Should we not honor the God who does this? Does this come out of nothing? Is all this an accident that happened to be so good and wonderful and wise and vast? Behold his acts of judgment. Judgment his works of power and justice. God is a jealous God, a consuming fire, one who executes judgments on all his foes. Who can stand before him? He is powerful. He is not a doormat. He is not a victim. Uh, He is the great God. None who can stand before him. He placed a curse upon this earth for our sins. Death may be an enemy to us, and it is one that he will overcome, but it is something he pronounced due to our sin. When you see the power of the curse on this earth, that's not something contrary to God. That's something he laid upon. That demonstrates his power too. It shows our sinfulness, that we called it upon ourselves. But the judgment of God should give us uh, a sense of, of reverence towards this great being, this God who is the judge. We are not his judge. He is powerful, a mighty warrior. He makes his, this known in deeds of judgment. He tears down kingdoms. He raises up kings. Why would anyone despise him? Who would not fear you, king of the nations? Remember the deeds he had performed in Egypt, the plagues, the exodus. His glory on Mount Sinai, in which he shook heaven and earth. He made a name for himself by his mighty deeds. He put his enemies to shame. He put the gods of Egypt to shame. He put Pharaoh and his power to shame. He showed power and judgment and mercy. God said to Pharaoh, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth God said to Moses, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So by his plagues, by turning the river to blood, by sending fleas and lightning and hail, and then drowning Pharaoh's hosts in the Red Sea, no wonder we should revere this God and not treat his name as a light thing. God has made his glory known in his care for his people from age to age. God has made his glory known, especially through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is how we know God's love, that he sent his beloved Son for us, that while we were his enemies, he loved us and sent his only begotten Son to save us that he loved us, the objects of his wrath, so dearly that he sent his beloved Son to lay down his life that we might be reconciled to him and dwell with him forever. You can see in Christ the justice of God that had to be satisfied for us to be saved, poured out upon our God, and we see his mercy and compassion in the work of Jesus Christ. So, consider God's power, his wisdom, his holiness, kindness. This is the name of God, his fame that he has revealed. When he proclaimed his name to Moses, he did not merely speak a word. He did use the word, uh, the Lord, Jehovah. But he also gave a revelation of his character. After Israel had sinned and Moses desired to, to hear or see God, to the third and fourth generation. This is the name of God. This is who he is. His name is glorious. It should not be taken in vain. The third point then, not only is we have a duty to honor God's name and his name is glorious, but finally he will vindicate his name. He will vindicate his name. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God will vindicate his name. That's part of this commandment as well. The Catechism says on this, the reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. It might be easy to, for for men who cannot see God, to think it not a heavy thing to take his name in vain. Certainly our neighbor will get upset with us if we abuse his name. We'll get to that in the ninth commandment, to defend and, and care for the good name of our neighbor. But of course, he's there in the flesh and blood, and you can see when he gets angry immediately. But, With the Lord, he is patient. The Lord is long-suffering. The Lord is invisible to us. You cannot see him. And so he reminds us that this is no light thing. In fact, he is behind everything that you see. That he will not hold the person guiltless who takes his name in vain. Even if you escape punishment from men, yet our God sees all. This shows up in Malachi as well. In God reminding the priest to not despise his name, he says, I will be great. The issue is not whether my name will be great. The issue is whether you're going to stand in the way. The issue is, are you going to make this name great? Are you going to honor or are you going to get in the way and so be cursed and despised? Repent, in other words, Uh, but God will vindicate his name one way or the other. So let us honor God's name, for he will defend and vindicate it. He will not disgrace his name, and he will not let it rest in disgrace. He will make it great. He will vindicate himself from every charge, every complaint, every blasphemy. When the Assyrians came against Israel and said, Oh, your God can't save you. We destroy all the gods. God made his name great. He decimated the army. He defended his people. He defended himself from every charge. He will do so in history and then finally among uh, everyone on the final day. He will be faithful to his word. If he has pledged his, given his word, pledged his sacred honor, he will fulfill it. He will not disgrace his name. If someone invokes him as a witness, he will be a faithful witness. He sees he can hold you accountable. He will judge those who treat his name with contempt He will not be a perpetual victim of their evil. He will not let people trample over him perpetually. Those who take his name in vain will not be held guiltless. God will vindicate his name. And that both means that he will save those who trust in him. He will not let his people be cast off and trod forever. It also means he will judge those who have despised him and tear them to pieces. For his name's sake, he will purify and restore his people and not wipe them out, because that would bring dishonor upon his name. For his name's sake, he will pour out the riches of his grace unto the praise of his glorious grace. And it also means that he will pour out just wrath on those who stubbornly despise him, but he will vindicate his name. He will arise and defend his cause he does so in history as you can read in the history recounted in scripture you can see it recounted in the history after that you can count on it and he will do so finally on the last day when all will be put to right you and i ought to pray that he would hallow his name that it would be honored on earth as it is in heaven and to rejoice when he does so that our desire has been fulfilled You and We ought to be zealous for God's name, for His honor, for His worship. That's why it's not a weariness, or it shouldn't be, if this is our desire to see God honored and praised among this people and this congregation and all the nations. Now, you and I have not honored His name as it ought to be honored. You and I too easily think lightly of our God and get buried in our own affairs and forget the one who is upholding us at every minute. You and I deserve to be wiped off the face of his earth for our sin mars his creation, brings disgrace upon his name, is utterly repulsive to his holiness. But there is mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He will not give up on his creation. He will save a people and bring them to glory. He has pledged himself to save those who believe in Jesus Christ. He has given him as an atonement for our sins. He puts his name upon those who trust in Christ, unworthy of it though they be. We are baptized into the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Those who call upon the Lord shall not be put to shame. Those who hold fast to him with true faith will be exalted with his name. Once his word is given and received, his zeal for his honor works in our favor, that we are lifted up with him. For his name's sake, he will save us. For his name's sake, he will purify us and, and sanctify us. You should still heed the threat of the commandment, recognizing that this means that God is displeased with this sin. We should learn, you know, seek to please our God, do the things that he delights in, recognizing that God may still discipline us in this life to direct us away, to shepherd us away from this sin. Repent of the sin, but take refuge in the Lord. It is a great honor to receive his name. It is of grace that we receive his name. Even though you may be despised by man for his name, the reproach of Christ is more valuable than all the honor and fame that this world can give you, for it is lasting and he will vindicate his name. Those who trust in him can desire that his name be honored and vindicated because it is not only right, but it is also good for us. But those who fake it, who take his name upon their lips while their heart is far from him, shall not find forgiveness, but shall be uprooted as weeds or as dross when he purifies his kingdom. And those who openly despise his name may find fame and wealth for a time, but shall be left in disgrace in the end. So the name of our God is the hope of those who possess his promise in Christ. He will not prove faithless. He has pledged his sacred honor for their salvation. He will save us by his promise, not for the sake of our works, but for his name's sake. So plead his promises, plead his name, call upon his name, pray that he would vindicate it. We desire to see all the nations worship him, to see his church pure and zealous for our God, to see God honored on earth as it is in heaven, to see our hearts more sincerely and reverently and gratefully uh, devote ourselves and honor the name of our God. We desire to see God prevent and remove atheism and ignorance and idolatry and profaneness and whatever is dishonorable to his name. And he will answer such prayers, for it is his will to vindicate his glorious name. His name will be great among the nations and a pure offering. He will purify his people, and it will be offered in every place. So you must honor God's name. This is your duty. And we are encouraged to do so because his name is glorious in mercy, in power, in justice, and he will vindicate it. His name will be raised up. So do not swear falsely. Do not treat his name with contempt, but honor his name by a holy, grateful, and reverent use of his names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. Fear the Lord. Do not regard his service as a burden, but praise His glorious name. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank You for Your revelation of Your name to us, Your character, Your grace and mercy, as well as Your perfect justice and holiness that You have taught us to turn from our sins unto salvation in Jesus Christ. We ask that You would glorify Your name, by purifying your church, by reforming us according to your word, by filling us with a true zeal for your holiness and for your honor. We pray that you would turn the hearts of sinners to salvation, that they might not trod your name underfoot anymore, but rather uh, to receive your mercy in Christ. We pray that you would remove and prevent and oppose all that would bring dishonor upon your name that you would cause your enemies to scatter, uh, that you would rise up and to put to shame those who dishonor your name, that they might know that you are the Lord, that you are God. We pray, Father, that you would uh, work powerfully, that we might behold it and rejoice in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.